0: Pirates. Pirates. I once knew a Spaniard named something in Spanish. He's coming for you, Jack. Jack! Jack. I'm so sorry, were you still talking? Ever met a man before? I mean, what about your father?
1: I had no father. I was brought to life by Zeus.
0: Well, that's neat.
1: Oh my god! Forgive me.
0: (laughs) Hello and welcome to the Electric Shadows podcast with me. Rob Daniel, editor of electric shadows.com, and as always, I'm very happy to say I'm joined by my learned colleague, Mr. Rob Wallace.
1: And as always, it's an absolute pleasure to be here. Huzzah! And it's been, well, you know first let's give you a plug. Uh, so, your site? Uh, I write, I'm the uh, the editor and at the moment, sole writer for www.ofallthefilmsites.com. Huzzah! And uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at, at Robert M. Wallace.
0: Oh yeah, and you can do me on Twitter as well, at Rob underscore A underscore Daniel, and you can tweet me till I'm senseless, or whatever it is. Um, so yes, do me on Twitter. So yeah, this is like a rounder, because we've not done one of these for a while. In fact, what was the, I think the last one of these we did was Guardians of the Galaxy 2, an alien covenant. Yeah. So, things like Holiday and, well, Holiday really, have just kind of
1: got in the way of us doing a podcast, haven't they? So... It's the, good to be back. Yeah, it's, it's good to be back. On a, f- a film front, things haven't necessarily improved. No, um, I'd say. So we're yeah, we're doing a roundup episode this episode. So we'll be looking at Pirates of the Caribbean, Salazar's Revenge. The Salazar's one? Revenge, aka Dead Men Tell No Tales. Yes, that's, um, Depending on where you're based. And we're looking at Wonder Woman, and we're looking at the Mummy. And we can also do a thing on Transformers. When's that embargoed till? Um, well, let's think. I think it's technically embargoed until, well, the premiere's tonight. So probably until tomorrow or or Tuesday. But I haven't signed anything. so right. So you can just throw it out now. the Yeah. Well, this is a Sunday night.
0: Uh, so Sunday the, what is it, 18th of June. It's a very, very hot Sunday. God, it's hot, isn't it? yeah this is 30 like, degrees
1: feels like we're like we are in 12 angry men heat of the night style do the right thing yeah, yeah. Uh, there's going to be violence by the end of
0: this there's, there's going to be racial tension by the end of this podcast
1: which is going to be especially weird in this room yes
0: indeed The inexplicable
1: <laughs> racial tension inexplicable <laughs> racial tension between two
0: rather pale white people
1: um, and I have always drawn a great you know, a great man of influence from Steve Martin in The Jerk, so...
0: Yes, that's... Uh, <laughs>
1: we'll, we'll go from there. Um, <laughs> in a really, really great scene. That,
0: yeah, it'd be interesting to see what how people make what what people make of that scene now. Anyway, so we digress. So shall we uh, just dive into it? Um, can we just get Pirates out of the way really quickly? So Pirates of the Caribbean 5, or is it Pirates it five, of the Caribbean? In, yeah, 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 yeah. It is Salazar's Revenge, whatever these things are called. Regular listeners to the podcast will know we talked about this very briefly before when the trailer came out. I thought, um, I think, and we really didn't.
1: We weren't hopeful. We weren't
0: hopeful. I suppose the surprising thing about this one is that actually, you know, watching it, it wasn't utter shit. It I mean, was
1: beads through. I it mean, I mean, yeah. I mean that I mean, that first act. It's it's almost like it's worried about taking on water. It's like we just need to keep moving through this, and then hopefully everything will be fine. Yeah. Like, don't don't pause a breath. So, you know, here's here's a flashback that's going to set up this character's motivation. And here he is, grown up, and here's another person who's got a similar motivation. And here's Johnny Depp, and why is he still here? And here's Jeffrey Rush, and here's Salazar. Here's, you know, Javier Bardem going, Spatter! <laughs> that's, that was a, the, probably the worst impersonation of anybody that's ever been done <laughs> at any point. But, you know, I stand by it. No, it was alright. I think it was better than... Spatter? John is Keith... Richard's impersonation that he's which is now just sounds a bit Aussie, doesn't he? It's kind of like, Where are you from exactly? It's, it's the lowest energy version of it's just it's basically the lowest energy version of that character you could do because you know, in the first film, I know you're not a big fan of, at least he had some energy and the slapstick was quite well coordinated and there was a sense that this thing had been honed and it's, it's just sort of just wobbling all over the place, yeah. What as you pointed out.
0: What's the first line of dialogue he has in this film?
1: You mean when he comes to, in a bank vault, having fallen asleep mid-heist? Yes. His first line, I believe, if I'm not very much mistaken, is, Why am I here? Yes. And lots of people
0: thought that, Johnny. And the basic story behind this is that they're looking for Poseidon's trident, aren't they? To break the curse. The MacGuffin du jour. The MacGuffin du jour for this one is, uh, is Poseidon's trident. So they can break the curse. So Orlando Bloom can be released from his watery prison and go after and live... one film away. <laughs> after one film away, but quite a few years in terms because it's ten years in, the, in terms of screen time. And can go and live with his family again. Um, so can go and li-
1: live with green screen, Kira Knightley.
0: <laughs> yeah. So you. Um... Well, you said that this film opens with child suicide. And I could not remember that. And it's like, yeah, so isn't that saying something? When you can't remember a film that opens with child suicide and you have to remind me there's a scene at the very beginning of the film where Orlando Bloom's son in the film um basically weighs himself down to jump into the water so he can go. Summon the summon some, the flying Dutchman and Yeah. And then go and find the blah 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 to break the curse of blah 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 so they can all live happily ever after.
1: And and that's the thing, this the whole pirates franchise is held together by by curses by like ill conceived magic that kind of just sets the plot in motion and in this one there's 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 a, there's an area of sea called the devil's triangle in which Salazar's mm. ship Salazar who was a sort of Spanish a, cap, a Spanish captain and was captain in the Spanish navy out you know killing pirates his ship went down there and now he's filled with hate and is has a vendetta against Jack Spadder. I'm going to get it right <laughs> once during this podcast and it's going to be magnificent and <laughs> It's all there just to set this plot in motion. Which, you know, I think, at this point... I know... I'm sure there's a timeline laid out, but when does this film take place? Like... I know it's in the Caribbean. I know it's probably end of the 18th... Mid mid, mid to late 18th century. But there are no, like, historiographical markers. There's nothing to contextualise it in. It's just this own little, like, play park.
0: Yeah, it is. And I suppose you could look at the at the telescope of the young woman who gets caught up in the adventure she's got a telescope and I suppose you could say well that was made although it yeah, probably turns out that, that telescope wasn't actually made until 1938 or something but um, you could I suppose use that as a reference if you so so cared but uh, to be honest this was a film that I thought it had a couple of really good set pieces um, so there's the set piece at the beginning with the bank heist um, that I wasn't greatly impressed with because it reminded me too much of Fast Five. It really is like Fast Five. And I, I quite liked it because it was the... Because I it was done for real, with really big props and, you yeah, know, big moving props moving through really large sets. And I it's, thought... It's a
1: literal bank heist.
0: Yeah, it's a literal bank heist, so uh, you probably can, get yeah, pick to that. I thought the... Well, the bit with the zombie sharks was good. There's a bit with zombie sharks, I think it's in the trailer. But even then I thought this makes no sense because... Um, as Salazar has sent the sharks to go and get Jack Sparrow and you know, the other people working with him, but but Salazar wants his time with Jack Sparrow to make him suffer. But these
1: zombie sharks, presumably, are just going to eat, eat do what sharks other. do, and yeah, and that'll be over really quickly. So therefore, sorry, wait, I'd like to retract my do what sharks do. I know the film that Jaws did a, a tremendous amount of harm to conservation yes, efforts, it did. and I don't want to present them as mindless, you know, mindless killing machines. But in this case, they are zombies. So they are zombie. They, they are literally the swimming dead, um, <laughs> and it's like so. That's that's not the, that's not the only time we're going to be saying that phrase in this podcast.
0: No, because of the mummy, I, the mummy, the swimming Swim, dead. Oh yes, indeed. Oh god, yes. Well, we're we'll going to the mummy after There's, this. There's Vera back. Yeah, yeah, indeed. We're we'll going to the mummy after this. Then we'll get the shit out of the way first, and then we we'll go on to Wonder Woman. Um, so. Uh, We saw this for your birthday because uh, Rob has this great tradition that we go to the O2 and we have something to eat and there's like a bunch of us and we go and we have something to eat and then we go and see the big blockbuster that's just come out. And it's a really nice tradition because it's like, well, I wouldn't have seen Pirates of the Caribbean 5 unless it was because I was going... For Rob's you know, birthday night out. Yeah, if there wasn't the groups like emotional blackmail. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it did. Rob said, Well, you have to go to my party. <laughs> um, not that I ever wouldn't go you want know, to go to your party, but it's like, okay, cool, let's go see Pirates 5 then. And there was a, a certain part of me that was thinking, well, it'll be in- I've seen all of them, so it will be interesting to see what the trailer promised was the final adventure. But of course, there is a post credit sting, isn't there, that's kind of like, yeah, it's going to spoil it here, but it does kind of like set up another one. And it's like, well. I, it's just the trailer a, it's promised just me a the
1: final adventure. The trailer promised it ends, in a, you know, back at status quo. Yeah.
0: Which, and again, we can't really spoil it, but the whole thing about the reason for getting the trident is to break the status quo. But this ends up being the status There's, quo. And
1: I mean, that the stuff, everything. There is a set piece in the film set in "quote unquote" Poseidon's tomb, and they just throw that. I mean, let's deconstruct the 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 phrase "Poseidon's tomb." Poseidon, there is a god of the sea. Tomb, he is dead. Mm. A dead god. A dead god. We're just gonna let that pass. Yeah. We're just gonna. And they do. They really do. It's one of those. It's one of those movies where it's like you. There are there
0: are interesting things here, but you literally. It's like you said. It hits the ground running and boom. It literally does not have time to stop to think about anything and. So therefore, some potentially interesting
1: stuff just gets rolled in with every other piece of nonsense that's going on. And you know, in in the, in the same way that I'm, I'm just going to use this to defend an actor's presence in Transformers. Jeffrey Rush seems to be enjoying himself, or seems to be pretending to be enjoying himself. I'm sure he's enjoying the check he was given, and the yeah, the Caribbean. I holiday. mean, because I just I think he can do it. He can, you know, he's got his big, you know, sort of big, veiny, red nose. And his and his wig and he's the, the sort of the grotesque and and his wooden leg and he can snarl and go ah, and it's and like all oh. he has to do and, and there's, there's a little bit he gets a little bit of emotional of an emotional that comes that in from nowhere that like, comes what? from it. and, it's like, <laughs> and but you know look at just looking at him in that film is like you are so much better and such so much more of an interesting character than in this than Jack fucking Sparrow who at one point as a joke falls it's in the trailer falls asleep while another character is talking yes. And it's just that—is that where we're at now? Well, I have to admit, I did follow
0: his lead, and I had a long blink in this film. I there was one point when I thought, yes, I could listen to what they're saying, and I can follow this. Open my eyes and it's like, Ooh, oh, it's night time now. It was daytime a minute ago. <laughs> um, how much of this have I missed? And there were uh, a couple of things that you and the guys talked about afterwards. Was like, no, I don't, I don't remember that, but. I saw enough of it, and it's and it's again. It's like you know, the, all the pirates films. Well, it's not the third one. The third one's complete rubbish. But all the pirates films have at least one set piece in there that has a touch of imagination. And there is that bit in this one where is in the guillotine, and the guillotine starts to, or the um, a platform starts spinning, so the blade comes close to his neck and then goes back again. And it's like thinking, yeah, that's not bad, is it? But it I, should be in a better film.
1: But at this point, it feels like. There's a degree of contractual obligation involving Johnny Depp. Not that he's contractually obliged to do it, but that they're contractually obliged to keep him. Yeah, because it really is. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I have my fill Johnny Depp, I'm afraid. Um, I mean, is there much more to say about this, or shall we use Johnny Depp to segue into the Dark Universe? You are reading my mind. Go on, segue away. Um, Johnny Depp has recently been cast as the Invisible Man. Which is great casting, because he cannot be invisible enough for me. We gonna we gonna make the bad taste joke. We are gonna. that what's that one, Johnny? You may, be, Johnny. You may, you may be invisible. The bruises are not. <laughs> oh yes, that was actually my joke. Was the end. That's the joke. <laughs>
0: um, I'm sorry. I don't know. I mean, I just I don't get why we need Johnny Depp anymore. We just do not need Johnny Depp anymore. But apparently, he still makes money. I mean, yeah, we just saw that Pirates Five has done five hundred million dollars worldwide. So underperformed at the U.S. box office, but is being kept afloat by other. Uh, other countries around the world so there you go they clearly there's clearly something about him they like but yeah so The Mummy the first film in the already it's a done deal it's fully formed we're going to go ahead with it we don't need to see if it works Dark Universe the Universal have put together
1: which they've been threatening to do for years haven't they because well, they've been trying to sort of backdoor it for years they've tried so to backdoor it Van Helsing the Wolfman Dracula, untold. Yeah, Dracula Um, should have stayed untold.
0: Dracula should have stayed untold. Uh, Yeah, the because the mummy, the Brendan Fraser mummy, the nineteen ninety nine movie mummy, which everyone keeps calling the original, (laughs) myself included, sometimes, and it's like. No, the 1932 film with Boris Karloff, that's the original Mummy. That's a really And good there are film. about half a dozen films after that. Oh, yeah, yeah, indeed. And there's also, of course, The Great Hammer film, which I think was made in 1958 or something like that. It might be a little bit earlier uh, called The Mummy that's got Christopher Lee as The Mummy and Peter Cushing is... I don't know, The Mummy. The Egyptologist
1: from... who, yeah, who... And and that's the thing, you know, um, it's almost... I mean, I, I'm a defender of the 1999 Mummy. It's a lot of ILM cheesiness, but it's a real romp, and it's you know it's quite funny in places. And I, you know I like I like I like you know the fact that, you know Brendan Fraser in his moment in the sun.
0: Yeah, yeah. Because like, of course he was also in a, a year before I think Gods and Monsters. Yeah, yeah. which is a wonderful, wonderful
1: movie, and um, like has be a real affection for the Universal horror films and George of the Jungle and Dudley yeah. Do-Right you know around, yeah, yeah, yeah. around, that, around that period um, of also in Airheads one yes. of the
0: most underrated comedies of all time in my humble opinion Airheads is hilarious and has a couple of moments that literally made me cry with laughter the first time I saw it and he's very good in that so the Dark Universe is basically them saying yeah it's universal saying we've got all these classic old monsters under under license
1: the, but that's the thing nobody like it's you know the first mummy film we said what we came in nineteen thirty two. You know if you if you were, if you saw that and you were ten years old you were born in nineteen twenty two you are ninety five years old <laughs> like nobody is alive or there are very few people you don't have a large enough audience of people who were alive at the time to have nostalgia for that and the film fans the people who you know have, have, have come to it after the fact aren't going to like what you do with the character. It's interesting, yeah, that is really interesting, because The Mummy... Yeah, there were other
0: Mummy films. And then, of course, Hammer did Mummy films as well. So the original Mummy was 1959, it turns out. And then there was also Blood from the Mummy's Tomb, which I think was 72. And But yeah, that original Mummy is... It's a really good film. It's between a horror film and an action film in a way that I think, yeah, you would argue that the Brendan Fraser one successfully did as well. And that's the thing, is that The Mummy seems to be... And the 1932 version is all about atmosphere, but the mummy seems to be something that lends itself to action and horror. And the Tom Cruise mummy, which is the beginning of the Dark Universe, tries very hard to be action and horror, and fails at both because
1: ultimately it's a Tom, Tom Cruise film. A Tom,
0: well, it's but it's not even a Tom Cruise film because it's a it's just a Tom Cruise edifice. edifice. Yeah, it's just this. A film that is just worships and sacrifices plot logic and likability and any kind of coherence to just to the image
1: and the godlike presence of Tom Cruise. It's like, what thing, are you doing? He's here? a, he, and that's the thing. He's a, you know, he's a good looking, charismatic, fifty four year old. I think that's yeah. it, but. You still the the, the film script, which is you know written by three screenwriters who've worked with him previously, yeah, and you know do give the impression of having been hand picked. One you know, of whom
0: was Christopher McQuarrie, who wrote The Usual Suspects, and yes I mean, and has, since,
1: and has since done you know did polishes on a lot of the original Impossible He directed.
0: Mission he directed Impossible, Mission Impossible: or Rogue
1: Nation. Yes, yeah. that's right. Yeah, yeah. They did, yeah. Um, but you know the, the script refers to him as a young man. Yep. Yeah. And, and you know that's right. That's being the most egregious, and it fails to realise it still needs to give him a character and make that character likeable and get us invested in him the fact that he's played by Tom Cruise yeah so to give the story of this it's basically Tom Cruise is a is he special force or something like that he's a soldier he's an army recon Nick Morton something I can't remember Officer Nick Morton yeah and he spends more time in um, Iraq
0: looking for ancient artefacts from Mesopotamia, as it was, than doing his missions and things like that. So he's basically a grave robber, and it's kind of... This is his Uncharted, isn't it? He is Nathan Drake, basically. I think it doesn't, he doesn't even seem to be very good at it. Well, yeah, because the first thing that happens is uh, he and his mate, played by Jake Johnson... Chris Vale who says we shouldn't be going in there, we're going to die, we're going to get shot up to pieces because it's such a dangerous area and he says no we'll be fine, of course they aren't fine, they always get shot to pieces, they have to call in an airstrike that blows up residential homes to get out of it and it's like okay you're losing me here now because this is all just horrible
1: military might to make up for a mistake. if they hadn't had the airstrike they wouldn't have found the massive hole they wouldn't have created the massive hole in the ground leading down to the mummy's tomb and if they hadn't have called in the airstrike they wouldn't have found a massive hole in the ground that then... Unleashes... Unleashes evil on the The, world. U- the <laughs> ultimate <laughs> evil. The first film we're already at the ultimate evil. Where do you go from here? It's like, set. Satan, Lucifer, it's like, already? Yeah. Like, how, you 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 can't open with a showstopper. That's right, yeah. The, the central
0: rule of show business, you never open with a showstopper and Tom Cruise should jolly well know that. Anyway, so they do and they go down into the tomb and they get the... Um, sarcophagus and it's in a plane blah 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 but of course it's alive and
1: it wants to take over Tom Cruise really doesn't it It's like he wants I mean, that's the thing Tom Cruise is the is both the mummy and the film's object of obsession and and also the hero and and, and doesn't and it's never made explicitly clear why she, why it has to be him yeah it's it is weird isn't it it's just that she
0: the mummy as played by Sophia Batella is just, I think she just takes a shine to him, because who wouldn't? Because he's, according to this film, the most alpha of all alpha males in the world, and if you're a strong woman, then you want the strongest man in the world or something? It, like, just, it makes sense. Know, I don't know. This
1: is the first film I've seen where uh, I don't understand why a woman would sleep with Tom Cruise. <laughs> well, yeah,
0: and the thing is, the Annabelle Wallace character, so Jenny Halsey who is kind like of an archaeologist. Yeah, she's yeah, she's an archaeologist. She's she's the expert to tell him what's going on. Um she turns up and the first thing she does is punch him because he yeah jilted her after having his wicked way with her. But she does make room to say what an incredible
1: lay he was and just how amazing no, she he was. says how bad he was. But but then it sets up the idea of actually he was really good. I didn't hear you complaining the other night or something like that.
0: And it's like, yes, okay, so and then she doesn't track that, and he actually returns it again
1: um, a bit later, doesn't he? Kind of when he says like, "Yeah, I was amazing. I didn't night. hear, I didn't hear you complain." they be like, "Tom, that's because you were making you wear a mask of your own face." Yes, that's right. <laughs> that's, because, that's because you were that's because you were
0: just playing your other movies really,
1: really loudly. All I could hear was show me the insist, money you, shot You insisted doing it from behind. You wouldn't make eye contact, right? <laughs> <laughs> Don't look at my face. <laughs>
0: So, yeah, that's in the director's cut, I think. God, that would be much more interesting if that was in there. Uh, So, yeah, but that's... and Yeah, so Russell Crowe was Dr. Henry Jekyll Jesus. Um,
1: He says... I think that's his full name, Dr. Henry Henry Jekyll 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 Jesus.
0: (laughs) Dr. Henry Jekyll Jesus. He says, you're a young man, you're a young man. And it's like, he's, in real life, he's two years older than you, I think, Russell. And I know you're supposed to be older in this film, but... He is 54. I think there's about a 21-year age gap between him and Annabelle Wallace, which is comparable to Roger Moore and Carol Bouquet in eyes Only. And it's like, Tom Cruise is ageing better than dear, dear, dear departed
1: Roger. But it's still odd. Oh, and it's like, I'm sorry, but you... you, you yeah, yeah Tom Cruise you, you know, is that sort of, you know, slight like deal with the devil... Which I think, which I think, you postulated is why he keeps running in all his movies. Yes, the reason that Tom Cruise keeps running in
0: all his movies is because basically, he's reneged on a deal with the devil. He's come to collect his soul,
1: and I mean, I'm, 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 he's just running away from the devil the whole time. and like, no, I, I want to be young forever. You know, I don't think. I think. I don't think the devil's come to collect yet. I think he's doing cardio in preparation for the devil coming to collect. Yeah, he's like right. yeah. a
0: bastard. He's, he's just... basically Will Smith and I am legend. He's <laughs> constantly working out during the day for the next time he has to run away from the uh, from the demons. Yeah, so, and, uh, I mean, I we saw this at the IMAX, having paid £21.50 for the pleasure of seeing it at the IMAX. The best thing I can say about that IMAX viewing experience, other than the, because you always go with like a group of mates and it's always a good laugh, and the meal was always nice beforehand but the best thing I can say about the IMAX experience was that we got to see the Dunkirk trailer trailer 2 on that big IMAX screen and there was more emotion and genuine excitement and just filmmaking and filmmaking genuine filmmaking in the two and a half minutes of the Dunkirk trailer 2 than there was in the it has to be said very long
1: hour and 50 minutes of The Mummy Uh, that you know it's got it's, it's got a couple of it's got Swimming, night Templar zombies; hence, the swimming dead. It does, and it's like that's the thing is that because when we're talking about this film, I'm thinking, okay, so let's just go through the story. And it's like,
0: what's the point? Because this is a film that is incoherent to the point of you thinking, okay, they are they they literally didn't have a script when they were making this. They just said, we'll just
1: have visions that will explain what's going on. Oh, just we'll save it in the edit. Desert flashes and. And, and it opens with Dr. Henry Jekyll Jesus providing, <laughs> like, you know, doing a narration saying, Oh, this is how Aminet, so Sophia tell the Mummy, yeah. and, you know, how she, her father, betrayed her and wouldn't give her the throne, so she made a deal with the devil and da, 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 ended up in a coffin, mummified, blah, 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 blah. Which is a less interesting version of basically all the previous Mummy films, including the 1999 one, which, you know, the, the Arnold Vosley Mummy, at least he. That film got that the character had to have some tragic nobility to him. Mm. He did have to have, you know, the the mummy has to have a quality. She's just basically had a really shit sweet sixteen, yeah, and
0: is now and has gone gone, full evil. Yes, has gone full evil and has like kind of a millennia lasting grudge because she didn't get what she wanted. So they use these visions, and you're right. The and it's just. Incoherent. It's like, are we allowed to do this anymore in films? are We allowed to just have visions to paper over the cracks in the script
1: that they couldn't be asked to finish by the and looks of it. The one part I quite liked is uh, when the one the scene set in London. London's obviously getting massive tax breaks at the moment. Or, uh, the whole of the UK because Transformers was shot. Um, but yeah,
0: Brexit's uh, doing a lot of good for the film mm-hmm. industry.
1: <laughs> when she, uh, when the mummy appears and you know, still in bandages and still you know, fairly, um, fairly desiccated, sort of limping down the road towards him, towards mm. Tom Cruise, it's like that's good because that's the mummy and that's the tragedy and the pity and the fact that you know, there's this creature who's and the genuine unnervingness. Yeah, of it. But I, I think yeah, I think that actually borrows
0: a lot from J horror and the whole weird twisted limb movement of Sadako but yeah it's still i mean there was there was that scene there was the scene near the wreckage because there's a there's a plane crash it's in the it's in the credit it's it's in the trailer um there's a, there's a spectacular plane crash which actually is one of those times when you i think the CGI you just think everything now is done by CGI so therefore there's no effort but that was done for real,
1: Yeah. Uh, in a parabolic plane. Uh, yeah, apparently um, Tom Cruise got lots of good notices for being able to hit his marks in zero, gravi- in, like, zero gravity. So that means I'm going to have to go back and watch Which that bit of game when it comes on to Sky Cinema
0: or something. Because that is now more impressive than it was at the time when I was watching it. I thought they were just on wires and they're just painting out the wires. Tom Tom that Tom Cruise does like doing stunts on planes at the moment, because he does. But, but there's nothing in this... Film that is as good as the opening of
1: Mission Impossible Five, and the fact that that yeah, I'd say it's a it's in a a handy allegory in that film. That plane is taking off. In this film, the plane is crashing,
0: crashing to earth with the ultimate
1: third. Yeah, I did, I did, I did like how the film. I kind of like it's a bit of a weird one. How the film acknowledged that the plane crash had happened and didn't just immediately forget about it and brush over it. It's like a plane has just come down in rural England and you know taken out quite a wide area of countryside. That's that is a big deal and the fact even if it was just an excuse to kind of say, Well, we've got the set, we might as well use it But you say that, but there is a massive, massive plot
0: hole there that the night of the plane crash there are two crash investigators investigating that area and no one else, and it's like, where are the cordons? Where are the where where are the hundreds of people here to investigate this crash? Where, where, like... where
1: where's the documentary team making the making the thing for Nat Geo? Where's the news crew? It's kind of
0: like you then get that moment where the mummy, there are two of them, and there's a mummy on the loose. Guess what happens next? It's quite, quite effective in a kind of you have the church in the background and it's and it's a full moon and it tries to be doing an homage to the Hammer mummy at that point, but um, it's just not enough. Have
1: they cast the Wolfman yet?
0: I'm not sure if they have. Um, yeah, because of course, this is, as we said before, is part of the Dark Universe. It's the first one. So we get Dr. Henry Jekyll, who, as you said, is the Nick Fury of this one, um, played by
1: Russell Crowe. So the Nick Fat and Furious. Fat and Furious. <laughs> he is a large man in he's a, this film he's a large man and I, in all fairness I wouldn't want to get on the wrong side of him no um, I wouldn't want to no indeed it's, uh, you don't want that phone flying at you um, and, that's, and and it handles the whole Hyde Jekyll thing in the most obvious and just daftest I mean, there's an object from the 1999 mummy that makes a cameo in this yeah. and the film literally beats someone around the head with it and that just seems to be its approach. It's like, we're just great. remember Henry Jekyll? <laughs> we're just going to beat you over it's the like, head. It's like member berries, but for people who, like, you know, were 95 <laughs> years old. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
0: Remember, remember the original Universal films and segregation? <laughs> remember when homosexuality was a crime and... Lon Chaney Jr.'s Wolfman. Remember before <laughs> the metric system. Remember before <laughs> the metric system. Remember before. You remember before World War Two. Remember when we hadn't coined the. When we hadn't had a need for the word genocide. And also The Bride of Frankenstein. <laughs> it's like,
1: it's remember these things? Being remade by Bill Condon, who you say, you know, we talk about, you know, Made, Gods and Monsters, the biopic of James Will, who directed the original Bride of Frankenstein. Frankenstein.
0: The only thing that gives me any hope is that Bill Condon is directing The Bride of Frankenstein remake, because he has an affinity for the, for the material that Alex Kurtzman... The director yeah, here, yeah. just well, I think I, mean, I think he was just being set up to fail, basically. Well, I think Tom was saying, Alex, I think it'd be a really good idea if you put the camera there and only there. It just seems this is this film has got Tom Cruise's stamp all over. I mean, there was a point in this film where he literally gets Christ-like powers, and I'm thinking, what is it, Tom? Because you, we all know that you're a Scientologist. We all know that you have very odd beliefs. That's your personal life. All religion, I think, is just based on the weirdest yeah, stories, and mm, they're not really yeah, diversity friendly. So, uh, but anyway, like yeah, Scientology, I have issues with as well because it's just so rapacious in its business model. But that's personal life. You're very good at your job. But recently, Tom's been letting me down because the Mummy I thought was a one star movie, and Jack Reacher never is a two star. Never got back. Yeah, it is, isn't it? It's a made for TV movie with a budget. And I really, really liked the first Jack Reacher, and I spent half of Jack Reacher never go back just working so hard to like it, because I was thinking I really want to, I really want to like this film because I so like the first one, and I'm meeting you more than halfway, and after an hour, I was like, "No, I'm
1: sorry, this is, this is clearly just not good. the thing you can kind of tell from the casting. In it, I and mean, the fact that it's got it's got a good cast, but it's got a good cast of largely TV actors, yeah. actors like you know like Robert Nepper from Prison Break and from Yeah, that's um, right. Going very quickly back to the Dark Universe, um, obviously, do you know who's been cast as Frankenstein in *Fright of Frankenstein*? Oh, I don't. Javier Bardem. Oh yes, indeed, yes it is. Spanner,
0: spanner. <laughs> it's not getting better, but I'm sticking with it. <laughs> yeah, well, you should do. <laughs> so yeah, so then yeah, so lots of things happen in this film. I mean, it doesn't. It's weird, it's an hour and 50 minutes long, so thinking, so without credits, it's probably about an hour, hour 45, it did drag for me, because it makes no sense, so therefore you can't really hold on to anything. There was one point when I thought, great, we're going to, you know, wrap it up now, and then that's when Dr. Henry Jekyll and his rather fearsome alter ego decide
1: to make an appearance, and it's like, so we're going to do this for the next five minutes. The the secret organisation is called Prodigium, which... Sounds less like a secret organisation than something that you'd prescribe to treat erectile dysfunction. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? It really does, not it?
0: It's
1: like, look,
0: this doesn't normally happen to me, but I've been very, very busy at work. You know I'm really stressed about landing I just that contract. I just need to take my prodigium. I don't need to take my prodigium. Give me five minutes um, and, uh, and then we'll be ready to go again. If you do that thing, you know, that I liked what you do, then I think that will help. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll take two of my prodigium. <laughs> so I mean, it's just it's prodigious Yeah, it does, it does sound like a pill to treat erectile dysfunction. In the um, Kim Newman has the in his books he has the Diogenes Club, does not he? Which is the Diogenes Club.
1: Yeah, that is. Di- of, of, Club, of yeah. which Mycroft Holmes is a member. Yeah, in indeed. The and that's
0: taken from. I mean, that's taken from the Holmes and That. Yeah, so that's yeah. right. Yeah. I mean, come on. There are other names you could call this, like. Yeah, you know,
1: prodigium. Yeah, as you said, sounds like a blue pill. And that's <laughs> the thing; they could, it could so easily have been the Diogenes Club. They don't have to limit themselves to universal monsters. Yeah, they could say, "Well, we, we'll take that. We don't, we, we don't necessarily ever need to do anything with Holmes, but people will go oh, that's interesting.' Well, yeah, because that's the thing that Kim Newman does. I mean, I think if you're yeah, listening to this, you should try and you should read
0: *Anno Dracula*. I mean, I mean Russell Crowe isn't quite my size, but he's yeah, but he's yeah, he could he could get there but Newman's stuff is like it's basically a what or like an alternate universe that has everyone in it doesn't it I mean like yeah, the Bloody Red Baron which is the sequel to Anna Dracula set in World War 1 has Melors the Gardener in it from Lady Chatterley so it's like if you're going to do this then just be a bit more imaginative with it and just bring in everything
1: um, yeah but you know what happens if you try and do that in a film but in a film what happens you end up with League of, Ge- League of Extraordinary Gentlemen Yes you do Which is
0: Well if they'd have made the, If they'd have made
1: What they bought It would have been good But they didn't They made something shite But, but yeah I think I, I, think that you know They should have made it As a TV series But you know what yep. happens If you end up Trying to make it As a TV series You get Penny Dreadful <laughs> Oh yes Penny Dreadful
0: well, Penny which Dreadful, which did, was which was all right. right. It was all right. It was
1: it was largely it because it looked of, great. Largely because of Eva Green and, Timi- Green and Timothy Dalton. Yes, indeed, Yeah,
0: but I thought that
1: it was okay. But it could have been brilliant. Yeah,
0: it could have been brilliant. But next to the Mummy, Penny Dreadful is the original Bride of Frankenstein, isn't it? I mean, it's a five star classic. And presumably, we'll get the creature from the Black Lagoon, and we'll get all these other films coming in. And it's like, how do you do the creature from the Black Lagoon? That's what I was thinking. It's like. Because it's, it's a proper B-movie. It's uh, and it's also one of those things that's influenced I mean, you might as well we do so them. Much. Well, yeah, that's right. It's like, Creature from the Black Lagoon has influenced so much anyway. That it's I mean, they're remaking The, remake of the Blob. Of course they are. Um, <laughs> starring Samuel L. Jackson. Well, the 80s remake of The Blob, I thought, was okay. Um, it had some really, really gross-out effects in it, but... But, I don't know, whatever. But the, but the Creature from the Black Lagoon is one of those where it's like, I'm sorry, but... Yeah, Jaws borrowed heavily from this. Mm. Lots of things have borrowed heavily from Creators from the Black Lagoon* to the point where this will just look like a ripoff of yeah. the things that were inspired. It by looks the original. tired. It looks tired. Yeah, it's, that's right. It's like John Carter of Mars. Everything that it was doing, everyone said, "Why are you just ripping off Avatar? we just ripping off Flash Gordon." No, no,
1: no. This was the original template yeah. material, but of course, it's just not needed anymore. Talking about things, though, if we are if we're having to move on. The art. Sorry, there's just a oh, few more things about the uh, uh, about the mummy.
0: So we've got the Swimming Dead, um, lots of set pieces like that. The it's very very fitting that they're all undead in this film because this film has no life to it. I just, I mean, I don't know about you, but I just sat there thinking, please end because if you end now, I can get the twenty past eleven train instead of the ten to midnight train and that'll be good. <laughs> um, so and the end I you scene, start about things you'd rather be doing. Yeah, that's that's what you know. You're onto a stinker. And the end scene, well, the end. Yeah, the climatic showdown in a a world or in a a summer now where we have Wonder Woman. It seemed really kind of female phobic. I thought it seemed like
1: this entire film seemed to be a film that was a little bit scared of women. Well, that's you know, and scared of their power. If you give Tom Cruise ultimate control over something, then maybe he's going to end up revealing more of himself. Then. <laughs>
0: We are saying uh,
1: nothing about
0: anything <laughs> Other than that Tom Cruise When he makes a film Likes to be the most powerful thing in it It's the only thing we're saying on that <laughs> And uh, there is also a scene Where he is wrestling with his demons And says I don't know what I am
1: Which again means nothing It's, like, it's, it's <laughs> just it's that all right, character saying that It's, it's alright Tom Nowadays we don't need to label
0: ourselves We don't need to label ourselves You can be whatever you want Of course he is a Scientologist And that's all he is yeah, so she's throwing him around, and it was all really painfully physical. Like he kept hitting his lower back. <laughs> he kept hitting his lower back against the corner of the stone tomb, or he would like, yeah, scrape himself down the um, down the steps, the stone steps of the crypt. And it was like, oh look, love you're throwing an old man around here. <laughs> be careful with him. He's, his bones are not what they used to be. He's, you know, it's he's had his full fat meal, but who knows? It's um, And it just seemed really like... Here was a woman who was out of control. She was really appetite, and she needed to be put in her place. Even the Annabelle Wallace character says, kick her ass." And I don't know, I think we're all a bit more... Oh, no, it's fine. Another woman gave him permission. That's right, yeah, yeah. And that's the thing is that you know that was probably put in there by one of the three male writers to kind of try and get around the risk of criticism about that and I know we're all much more sensitive to this now because there is a misogynistic demon in the White House who has just spent his entire career like you know disposing of women so therefore we might be a bit more sensitive to this but I thought I don't know it just seemed yes you've got a big female um a villain here so quite empowering but ultimately she is a spoiled brat who acts like she had a really bad sweet 16 who needs to be put in our
1: place. And that's by this older man. It's like, so... In all fairness, I would pay to watch a version of this film which is just Aminette's My Super Sweet 16. <laughs> yeah, I would watch that as well.
0: I asked for the pink pyramid, not a yellow one!
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't oh, promise what? me I'd get people ruined of the two kingdoms!
0: That's right, it's... Oh, this is the worst thing ever. There's also, sorry, another point where, um, <laughs> <laughs> where they, where someone said, "Oh no, they're going to mummify her alive," and it's like, "Well, how can you be mummified alive? Because it isn't, isn't part of mummification Take that, your brain you, out. that your brain gets pulled out of your nose?"
1: It's like, "How can you be alive after that?" And that's in the 1999 version. Imhotep can only dra- only drains the lives from those who've desecrated his canopic jars the jars in which his organs are contained in this one just she, she can, anybody's fair game yeah it's uh which is kind of like I mean I know there's a whole Mother's curse thing and I
0: kind of thought well have some rules yeah 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 you're right I mean there is a part of me that thinks in some ways like yeah monsters reflect yeah the fears of the time so therefore she comes to London and well actually you can get really really racist or talking about this she's someone from the Middle East who comes to London and starts blowing things up <laughs> I don't think the film was going into that but the destruction of this and some of the imagery of this in terms of like you yeah, know the billows of smoke and stuff like that and people running around in terror you're kind of thinking well are we now at the point where these villains just are basically a stand-in for
1: terror terror that could come from anywhere I don't think it's that I mean that's that would at least, if if horrific, be interesting. <laughs> I mean, this one, you know, you, you get the enjoy the jungle of sand and her face coming out of it. Yeah. Again, we've we've had that before. But you know, the only reason that was there was because it's a cool effect.
0: It's a cool effect. So therefore. Let's just do it again. Um, like, but yeah, I'm, a, that's, but I'm amazed Tom Cruise didn't turn around at any point and go, I want this to be my face. Yeah, because really I am. She, she wants me to be kind of like the mummy as well, yeah? So really that should be my face and it should be much bigger. <laughs> it should be three times the size of Big Ben. Yeah, I don't know. You try and read something more into it and you either find yourself tied up in some rather thorny racial kind of we say, We, we, we you... did say we're going to end up with racial tension. We did say we're going to end up with racial tension. And the mummy, which, has, which is... And, and it's fitting that a film that is basically the ruiner of all things good has just, <laughs> is now stirring thoughts in my mind about, is this just a big parable for the war on terror? Right. And is this a film that champions an immigrant ban? <laughs> it's like, I think The Mummy is the first film that says Trump's right about his immigrant ban. Oh, it's even worse than I thought it was. <laughs> it's not better. It's not better than what it was, no. It probably doesn't champion an immigrant ban, but he
1: certainly. <laughs> so ultimately, I mean, I mean, in all fairness, that's you know the nicest thing anybody said about it. The mummy doesn't champion an immigrant. They'll stick that on the poster. Yes. Stick that. We'll get that on the DVD. Rob Daniel,
0: and <laughs> <The Electric laughs> Shadows
1: does not champion an immigrant, immigrant ban. ban.
0: Does not agree with the policies of Donald Trump. <laughs> what a weird quote. That um, yeah, would include the star ratings. <laughs> that would include no. It's like. I have, but there's no star there. No, <laughs> now you have to give a star at least, yeah, at least one star, and it's and it is a one star movie, in my humble opinion. And yeah, so do we know which one's next in the Dark Universe? Is it? Um is it Bride of Frankenstein. I think it might be Bride Frankenstein. Really? That's weird. You think you start off with fucking Frankenstein first of all, wouldn't you? It's. Uh, I mean, oh, I think no. Let's just rush to the one that is. That everyone likes. It's like, well, no one's seen *The Bride of Frankenstein*. It's like it's a film that was made in 1934. Was *The Bride of Frankenstein*? I mean, there was
1: there was a good thing going around recently that said if the if all these things had happened 35. in the late in the late 80s, early 90s, we could have had Jack Nicholson as the Wolf Man, yeah. Robert De Niro as Frankenstein. Um,
0: um, who would you have had as? Uh, well, actually, yeah, Frank Langella as Dracula because he was great in that John Badham Dracula
1: from 79. Yeah, that would have been great. Oh, I think it was slightly, who would have I don't know. His... No, Dracula would have been Gary Oldman from um, from Dracula from Francis from from Stoker's Dracula, Francis Ford Coppola. In the late seventies, did you say? I uh, know eight, late eighties, early nineties.
0: Oh, sorry, I thought you said seventies. Um, yeah, yeah, because because Jack Nicholson did do Wolf, didn't he? Yeah. Um, so who would have been the Bride of Frankenstein at that point? Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah, Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, Bride of Frankenstein, in 1935. I mean, this is a five star movie, The Bride of Frankenstein. But the thing is, it's not. I just don't see how you can get action into this film. I mean, the the film is a comedy as much as a um, as much as a horror. It's also a doomed love story. There's a. I just want to see see how they get sort of Doctor Pretorius in there, and (laughs) yeah, indeed, and 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 the whole gay relationship. I mean, it's like James Whale filled *The Bride of Frankenstein* with nods that only the gay community at, at the time would get. There are certain words that are used that are like in jokes to the gay community it's like well if you carry that over then I'm interested Um, because this is a film about two men creating life without the need of a woman it's like I mean there are some interesting things here if you want to carry this over but of course you won't do that because that's way too thorny and uh, so yeah that's. and they've already given the gods and monsters line to Russell Crowe yeah they did didn't they which was a real shame um because no one's going to get that either. It's like, yeah, no one's going to get what a great line that is. Sorry, I banged on way too long about The Mummy. So, shall we move from The Mummy to... Uh, no, there's no, the there's, there's no There's no, way no Wonder that. Woman. I was going to say, like, a, to a film which... But I don't want her to be my mummy. That would be interesting. <laughs> shall we talk about Wonder Woman? <laughs> So wonderful! It is very warm. That's just... It is very yes, it is very warm. That's, That's our defence at this point. <laughs> so wonderful! Now, as uh, regular listeners of the show know, Rob and I have have done our time with DC movies. We have watched lots of them, Um we watched uh, Batman versus Superman twice, and then we uh, watched three times. Ah, but then we watched the extended edition uh, as well. Oh. So we spent nine hours. What was it? Oh, eight hours of last year. Yeah, but as you said, just watching Inter- that took place in interstellar time, so takes place in interstellar time, so it just seems so much longer. And when we watched that film, we I think yeah both agreed that Wonder Woman was by
1: far the best thing in that movie, and well, yeah, in- just that she, she gets the smirk and she gets the da da. <laughs> she does. Yeah, that's right.
0: Yeah, she just brings some life to it at a point where, and she, yeah, and she smirks when she gets yeah swatted aside by Doomsday and gets knocked against get the wall and all so, like... He looks up and smiles, and then like yeah jumps back in. As so I said before, when I first worked that film, I'd actually forgotten how to smile. <laughs> I'd forgotten that people could smile. So when I saw that, it was like, it was like seeing the sun after it's breaking through the clouds after but... three months of a severe winter or something. It's like, even though I also always maintain that she is that we were supposed to think she was Catwoman right up until the end of that movie. But, of course, they would never allow that... Yeah, marketing would never allow that to happen because in Batman vs Superman, she's always dressed in really, really slinky numbers. She's always stealing things and she only ever really flirts with Bruce Wayne. So I watched her thinking, we are supposed to think that she's Selena Kyle because then at the end of the film when she gets off the plane and the uh, flight attendant says, Miss Prince, Miss Prince, and I think that's supposed to be the point where you go his prince. Oh my god, it's not Selina Kahn, it's Wonder Woman. Anyway. Yeah, so Wonder Woman was great in that film and now Wonder Woman has her own film.
1: And what's this one about? Wonder Woman is about, well, opens on the paradisical island of Themyscira. Uh, inhabited solely by the Amazonian women who are pledged to defend mankind. And again, mankind are using in the broadest sense of the Uh, Humanity. Yes. Humankind. Yeah. Humankind. Uh, One day, a plane crash lands near the island, and uh, Steve Steve Trevor, a army officer, let's say, played by Chris Pine, is rescued and informs them about the World War One is currently waging out there, uh, you know, raging out there in the real world, and sensing the involvement of their sort of, you know, their nemesis Ares, the god of war, whom they are sworn to you know, defeat. Um, Wonder Woman decides to venture out and kick his ass. Yeah, that's a very, very good way to put it. Yeah, this for me does
0: is the first DC film. Well, it's the best. It's the best DC film since The Dark Knight Rises. That's not difficult. It just gets it right, and it gets it right. I think by yeah, going back to Superman the movie, the nineteen seventy eight Richard Donner film you treat it seriously and yeah the same as Thor did it's like yeah you play this straight you play this as these are gods these are grand figures Um, if you for a moment play it camp the whole thing completely falls into silliness but if you play it very straight and noble then this actually can be sold Uh, it can be sold to the audience and I think they do that very
1: well in the first half hour of the film or so I mean it's, it takes place on the island of thermoskira and there's lots of training and you know basically I mean I think a lot of them were Olympic athletes that's, that's you know clear, uh, yeah. fighting and lots of slow-mo leaping and basically women being badass and it's like oh they, this is just it's it's just good and it's right After oh, just you know Batman v Superman I'm going to try and avoid mentioning it too much yeah no, it <laughs> opens with this narration by Bruce Wayne along the lines of there were perfect things and then those things fell and became fallen things. It's almost as banal as that. Yeah, yeah. And this one just, you know, there's a, it's a Greek island and there are cliffs and there's a, there's a young girl and she wants to train to be a warrior and there's Robin Wright who, you know. There's, who there's, wants there, to train her. She's who, her aunt, isn't she? She's, yeah, who, and it's just, that's yeah, so how, how, yeah, as uh, Antiope. And, and her mum, is it Hippolyta? Hippolyta, played by Connie yeah.
0: Yeah, doesn't want her to become a warrior. She wants her to become something like yeah. The idea that if you're a warrior, then you're just a grunt, basically. She wants, yeah. You know, she has better things in mind for for yeah, for her daughter, played by Gal Gadot, who is Wonder Woman, and we'll get onto her later because I think that there's yeah, lots more to say about her performance in this film. But yeah, and it's it kind of reminds me of Brave as well, the um uh the Pixar film, which is also about. A woman or you know, a young girl who wants to to become brave warrior and her mum says no and and she, you know, rages against you know, the restrictions of the kingdom that she lives in, and there's lots of other I think you know, Disney princess tropes here. I mean I think there's a bit of like yeah Moana to this as well and it's like good because these are really good films and they're really and they're really positive films and you're right yeah the opening of Batman vs Superman like you know these things were good and they fell and now they are fallen. And it's like, oh, why, why can't we have these? These are ideals. These are the the ideals that we hold ourselves. What do to. you embody? Yeah, that's right. It's like, and the great thing about Wonder Woman is that she doesn't
1: just do everything great herself. She brings out the best in in those around her. I mean, she's idealistic, and yeah. I and mean, there's a scene with her leading the charge, you know, out of the trenches on No Man's Land with her shield, and basically taking all the flak, and, and that's and standing her ground. <clears throat> Yeah, so as you said, like yeah, so she leaves. She goes to London. They have to go to London to um,
0: because Chris Pine has vital information about the war. He goes to London, and they um, then have to go off on on a secret mission, basically, to uh, to try and stop
1: the uh, the baddies played by Danny Houston and um, Elena Ania, who are properly diabolical baddies. In like you know, they don't get actually yeah. that much screen time. Like there is but they scene are but they are cackling baddies. <laughs> yeah, where they uh, where they gas a group of people. They they, they you know they, they chemical use chemical weapons, and they're basically holding the, to- the doors closed and chuckling to themselves. <laughs> yes, they do. They sort like they do that hunched over thing. So like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then, so it's like, yes, that's the totally of this
0: film. This film mm-hmm. is these are the baddies. Um, these are the hissing villains, and so Danny Houston plays a uh, plays a general called Ludendorff. And Ludendorff, in real life, there was a general Ludendorff who. Um, was one of the formative members of the Nazi Party. So the idea here, I think, is that like yeah, Danny Houston's character would have gone
1: on to be one of the chief players in the formation I mean, of the in this, Nazi Party. Obviously, they're under the Kaiser. but And I, I actually accidentally ended up saying that they were Nazis in my review. But they are basically Nazis. They are they, The film doesn't obviously use the swastika, but there's no delineation there's no sort of <laughs> it's interesting because it was
0: obviously chemical warfare with mustard gas in yeah, World War one um, but I think now if you if you look at anything set in like a world war setting with Germans experimenting with gas your mind immediately goes to what happened in World War two but uh but yeah but, but I think yeah they are World War one they're just the uh, the hissing Germans from the war aren't they what's the name millennia and the era is dr poison or dr maru but dr poison is is the name that everyone
1: knows about. like own. a half her face is porcelain because she's clearly had this uh, some sort of lab accident before then that's yeah, really, it's, really uh, scarred her.
0: Well I kind of thought I wondered if it was um if it was an accident or like if she'd been injured during the war and and basically something had had happened to her that had had really scarred her and really like yet yeah, poisoned her view of of humanity so she, it was done to her
1: I mean, she had um that really sort of wonderful
0: spidery quality to her. Mm, yeah, yeah. So I mean she has those great eyes I mean that's the thing. Like, yeah, you know, to go back to, you know, the Universal film, she looked like something from yeah, nineteen twenties German horror. Yeah, it was. Um, and again, like, if, if you going to invoke that in your film, then it's like, well, then you're doing some, some thinking. You're thinking about how you can, you know, bring something interesting to your movie that isn't I, I, seen every day. And this
1: is also like a humans on a mission movie. Yeah, Chris Pine and um, who's really charming and kind of underplays it and has the you know and.
0: Yeah, I mean, he knows
1: that he's in the uh, female
0: role in this film. It's like, he's... Even though he does do the daring do of a a man, there's, like, he is the secondary role in this film, and I think he plays to that very well. There's a lot of humour in this film. I mean, I think it's very... It's a film that, again, like Thor and, like, the original Superman, they know how to treat
1: a god as a fish out of water. I mean, that's the scene where the hero walks in on the love interest, loving interest is naked... Yes, except it's Wonder Woman walking in. It's Diana walking in on uh, on Steve Trevor. Yeah, and uh, and, and just, she's not really phased by it, and he is, and it's like you're you're human, and I know all about that, and what. And just to make things more confusing between this and the Marvel films, obviously, you know, in this Chris Pine plays Steve Steve Trevor, in and then the, we have Steve Rogers uh, played by Chris Chris uh, Evans. Evans. Yeah, because <laughs> there are certain things, and here, they're both. But... You know, soldiers from the latter, part, from the opening, from the, from the you know, opening half of the 20th, of the twentieth century.
0: Yeah, so whose characters were both involved in like a major, you know, global conflagration, and without getting into spoilers or anything, they both get into like kind of uh, certain scrapes, that... certain scrapes that yeah, that are very very similar. But anyway, that's like, yeah, he didn't spoil the film for me. But yeah, so he's got he his ragtag crew, hasn't he? has got um, Sayed Tagmawi plays Samir who is. Turkish? It was supposed to be Turkish in the film, um, and Ewan Bremner plays—is he called
1: Jock? Charlie? Charlie. And then you've got uh, Eugene Brave Rock as the chief, which is interesting, wasn't it? Because you got yeah, you got this Native American character who was kind of
0: playing—he's selling arms to both sides. He's a pragmatist, and, yeah. Yeah, but it was like yeah, but he is one of the heroes, but is um, but there is a, a line about how genocide has happened to his people as well, so this is not the first time that he's seen. Absolute destruction on this scale. All of these are interesting characters and some of them are just, you know, very, very lightly sketched. Yeah, the chief is, I think, is just a light sketch, but there's still something there and is and the actor's still allowed to give a performance and um and yeah, and then you have that scene in No Man's Land when she I think is the moment when she becomes Wonder Woman. And it's and it's really interesting because when she goes I love the fact that it's, it's it's no man's land because no man can
1: cross it so she goes she gets above she is, the trench it's a very Eowyn from Lord of the Rings type you know yes, to, it is, I, am it? No I am no
0: it man it is literally that isn't it but that bit when she goes above the trench and out onto no man's land and it's the moment when she becomes Wonder Woman and it actually fragments her body into into different shots but it's because each of the shots uh, focus on part of uh, what makes her Wonder Woman, so you have the Lasso of Truth, and you have the bracelets of power, whatever they're called, and you have the um, uh, the shield, and of course you have her, and it's like, well this, because films typically fragment women so you can get a really good look at their bits, <laughs> this is fragmenting her uh, for something completely different and is completely empowering, and I thought the way this film shot Gal Gadot was just really interesting, because she looked amazing. But it wasn't sexual, it was something just, it was just awe-inspiring. It was just There was just a real difference, the way that she looked. I mean, there are certain scenes when she's standing there with her hair blowing, and it's like, it's on, like yeah, on the you, Slash you, Film cast, he said, you can't look directly
1: at her, she's so beautiful. And <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's yeah, it's, true. It's, it's just about, like, you just look great. That's the... Yeah, and you look like an ideal. In, of... in, in yeah, in the same way that you can look at Christopher Reeve in the Superman costume and go, you look great.
0: Yeah, you look like... <laughs> Yeah, the embodiment of, of goodness like and truth yeah, and justice. Just, and an yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. Um, In a way that the other, you know, Batman and Superman just just don't. They look like they look miserable. They look, yeah, they look like yeah, they look like they've just come from a really really
0: heavy counselling session and they've had, they've had some raw emotions to deal with and they can't be dealing with this saving it's people like, shit.
1: It's like Superman. How can you? How you look like you've got sads and yet all you
0: do is fly in the sun yeah I'm like you literally can fly I think if I could fly my mood would be elevated quite often Um, um, and Gal Gadot who is it will be fascinating to see what she does next because because I thought she was great in this movie like absolutely yeah, spot on for what the role required of it and it's like so are you a good actress who was just underused in the Fast and Furious films or, or have, you have you just your found your niche that's the question that I'd like to see answered by what she does next that isn't like a Wonder Woman film because I'm excited to see what she does next because I thought she was great in this
1: um, and that's the, and I think we also need to discuss the fact this was directed by a female director by Patty Jenkins yeah which I think is a lot of the reason why the way that Diana uh,
0: Wonder Woman so Princess Diana she's literally a people's princess the way that she's shot and the emotions that that invokes is different than if
1: a man shot her. It would be like this is, this isn't the same. There is, I, part of it, the, the, the cinematography in this is quite clear and bright and crisp.
0: It's, it is it's not
1: muggy and moody and smeary. No, that's right. But it's also, I think, it's one of those things that it,
0: a lot of power of the character is conveyed by her face, not her physique and when you do see her whole body she's typically moving and she's in action like kicking a, like
1: kicking, you know enemy soldiers through a window yeah indeed in that, that was or a, like that's lifting a, up a tank or... yeah I mean, that's great when she lifts up a tank it's like, and it's, like it's very Action Hero 1 isn't it it's very yeah. Action Comics 1 sorry it's like yeah, you are everything... I mean like you should be the lead in DC now. I mean unless you know unless Aquaman somehow equally manages, you know, in which case you can have joint. that I mean there's you don't have any competition. It should just be Wonder Woman is leading the Justice League. Superman and Batman shut up. Yeah. And Aquaman you get to say some stuff because you haven't been in shit films yet.
0: <laughs> you get a pass for now. But that's the interesting thing here is that Wonder Woman has now done at the U.S. box office $274 million. Before this film was released, I think everyone had written it off, and advanced word on it was that it wasn't very good, Warners weren't really putting any weight behind it, and, yeah, so it was going to be like another DC disappointment. This is $274 million. This is going to go over $300 million at the U.S. box office. What did Batman versus Superman do at the US box office? It's because uh, it must have um, been comparable to three hundred million. Did three hundred and thirty million dollars at the US box office? I really hope it Wonder Woman me. has a shout at that because it. What did... about Suicide Squad though? Yeah, three hundred twenty-five million. I think if Wonder Woman did forty million dollars. Um, uh, this weekend, I think that could get $330 million. It would be great if it was the most successful DC film in the US, because it deserves to be. And it would then be great in terms of, because we've got Justice League coming out in November, it's like, it will be interesting to see how much of Wonder Woman there is in that film. Because we're not going to be some of it, but what we've seen right now is that it's very much a you know, Batman and Aquaman film. So, are they going to... Is Joss Whedon going to do some some reshoots to bump up the role of Diana in that? I don't know. It's, uh, the only thing about the film that fell flat for me was the climax of the third act. We need to find a different way to end superhero films now because two super beings hitting each other is just not the way to end these films anymore. It's like we need to have a different way to do it. And I know that there were like a few little minor tweaks on it in terms of yeah, emotions that were being invoked. But I still thought it was a bit of the yeah, same old, same old. And what do you think?
1: Right, no, I completely agree on that. It's, yeah, it just, yeah, it just turns into a slugfest. Yeah. super-powered slugfest. And um, we've seen enough of those.
0: It's like the original Iron Man. The climax of that film was when he is um, intercepted by those two planes halfway through, yeah, by those jet fighters, and then the end of the film is him and Jeff Bridges' character having um, a superpower slugfest in their suits, in their Iron Man suits. And it's like, but the really good bit was with the planes and this. It's like, well, the really good bit was in No Man's Land and in the subsequent skirmish afterwards. It's like, this is not as interesting as what you were doing about 40 minutes ago. So maybe you should try and think of a different way to end it. And also, it's um, the scene in No Man's Land is... I think you're supposed to think about lunchtime or something like that, whereas a scene at the end of the film was at nighttime. And it's like, I think this would have been a better scene if it had been around dusk. I think it would have just looked just, more interesting. It's a bit dark. Yeah, it is. It's just like another nighttime scene of, of superheroes hitting each other. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. yeah. You, you've done much better work in this film than that. All in all, I, it's two hours and 20 minutes this film, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I found- Half hour longer than The Mummy. <laughs> and. I thought it breezed by like a dream I had a yeah, great time watching it yeah,
1: yeah you know S stands for hope fuck off Superman W
0: yeah yes it is yes it's W stands for hope <laughs> that's <laughs> I want to see a t-shirt with that on it actually I did go to Forbidden Planet after where I saw the film and they had lots of Wonder Woman merchandise there of course and one of them was a t-shirt with Wonder Woman leaping into action but it was the drawing based on the Linda Carter Wonder Woman and she was leaping into action and it said fight like a girl and I thought, that's such a great T-shirt. I would like to buy that, but I can't wear it. I can't get away with wearing that. <laughs> <No. though. laughs> what a great thing. Fight like a girl. <laughs> and there have been some lovely stories of little girls in cinemas, like you're standing it, up and looping. Yeah. yeah, indeed. And it's like thinking, this time last year, <laughs> we were... Yeah, between Batman vs. Superman and Suicide Squad, these two two films that empowered
1: no one,
0: empowered no one, and actually really cheapened the characters. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, Batman versus Superman did. I am not a really huge fan of Suicide Squad anyway, but, um, but cheapened the Joker, yes, that's and it, Harley. No, you are right, actually so, and did. Harley,
1: and it cheapened the modern day Harley Quinn, who is now pretty much figured out that Mr. J's an abusive scumbag and she's better off without him. Yes, and this one, yeah, actually, yes, yes,
0: you're absolutely right. Um, it did, yeah, cheat both of those and also kill a croc. <laughs> but he was redeemed in Lego Batman.
1: <laughs> I did sh-
0: something! I did something! <laughs> and the thing that I really hope is that DC, who clearly realise that they've got a an icon with Harley Quinn and... Anecdotally, um, someone at work was saying that her daughter, do- I think, was it her daughter or, or a friend's daughter and someone else went trick-or-treating dressed up as Harley Quinn and they're like about 11 years old and it's like, icky. I hope that DC gets behind Wonder Woman as a cosplay thing to uh, dress up as as much as they've really, really got behind the idea of merchandise and Harley Quinn. I mean, there's so much Harley Quinn stuff out there. And ultimately it's like, well, she is someone who loves her abuser.
1: <laughs> Fuck. It's horrible, yeah. It is. It's not aspirational. It's a fucking it's, warning. It's
0: tawdry. It's kind of like, yeah, it's just... It's, you know, depressing and it's... And yeah, it's... um It shouldn't... You should be aiming Fif- higher than that. And Fifty I think, Shades of J. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Fifty Shades of J. And I think with this, they have gone higher than that. I think they've... uh so, or yeah, the filmmakers have, and hopefully, with the amount of money that's being made, yeah, DC will realise maybe we should go lighter and more idealistic rather than seeing just how much in the mud we can rub these these characters' faces. But we'll see. So, to end, we should probably hear from you about Transformers: The Last Night. Okay,
1: I'll caveat this by saying I can't remember anything that happens in the previous films despite having watched about 20 minutes of the first one with you uh, As in like, no reason to remember anything about the Transformers I'm, films I remember vague things that happened I just don't know in what film they happened this new one is two and a half hours long and it is just packed and it and it I, 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 I will kindly say references every major blockbuster of the last twenty years. The opening sequence is Gladiator. It's on. It's, <laughs> it's got. It's got some revisionist King Arthur stuff in there, which obviously is very topical this year with King Arthur Legend of the Sword. It's got. You know, there's a little. There's a little robot in there that's essentially BB-8 meets Wally. There's there's a robot. There's a Transformer Butler who's voiced by Jim Carter from Downton Abbey, who's <laughs> essentially C-3PO meets Ultron. And it's and you know and There and there are you know shots of alien spaceships coming down in green fields and that's arrival and simultaneously they're tearing you know they're 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 sort of sweeping their way through human civilization that's very Independence Day resurgence Uh and at the same Uh time you've got all these big robots being really quite aggressive and sweary and boorish and those like those are the good guys yeah these are the Autobots and Optimus Prime isn't really in it apart from a little bit when. Uh, yeah, that's the thing. There's, it's, it, there is—it's so much stuff crammed into here. There's a scene where Sir Anthony Hopkins, Oscar winner Sir Anthony Hopkins, speeds down the mall in a supercar, flipping the bird at tourists for any reason. Because they decided they want him to speed down the mall, and they and Michael clearly said to him, "I can't direct act, act, actor Sir Anthony, let alone one of your character, of your caliber, go wild." and he's the the actor I referenced earlier who I said at least he seems to he's got the twinkle he seems to be enjoying himself right okay and you know and it's uh, Mark Wahlberg's fine and that's the thing like I gave it a better review than I was expecting to just on the basis that I wasn't bored there's a scene aboard a submarine in it is it coherent though because I watched in the first one you can kind of follow the story I tried to
0: read the plot synopsis for the second one on Wikipedia, and it was literally like reading how to install electrical wiring well, in, into your house. In this, um, the third one, I just couldn't follow.
1: I mean, the Thames comes out near near the White Cliffs of Dover, uh, and characters decide <laughs> to go places that the plot will require them to be. Later, it just about holds up, I and mean, it's two and a half hours long. So no, you know, you know, after a certain while you just go, let it work. What is the basic story? Uh, the basic story is that the secret history of the Transformers on Earth goes back further than we, goes back deeper than we even expected. And uh, K. Yeager, the um, mechanic hero played by Mark Wahlberg, finds an ancient artifact, uh, which is, I can't remember what it's called, I don't know, the Talisman of Arthur, it, the MacGuffin of generic, <laughs> the generic of MacGuffin. Yeah, he finds a thing and it sort of goes, well, you know, luckily. You know, this marks you out as being the savior of mankind. You know, lucky you've already got hero experience from those other films that you did. <laughs> and uh, there's a force out there, and it's coming to Earth and wants to reclaim the staff of Merlin that it's going to use to do a thing. And and that's the thing; it's so plot heavy, oh. but it, it, it's it's like it's, it's got it. It's got yeah, it's got all the spectacle, a lot of the spectacle, not quite the inventiveness of like Fast and Furious Eight, but without the charm. Right. But it kind of gets away from it by just being like, throw everything at the screen. Just keep on, th- and it's, it's impossible. You know, you, you said, well, "Is it worth going to sleep?" So you're least, uh, going there, so you at least you know get a, have a nap. You will not get a nap, <laughs> <laughs> and that's the thing. I, wa- I walked in there with the lowest expectations imaginable, and I and it was more fun than I was expecting it to be because it's just. Mental. It's a. It, it's, it takes place in a universe where, through just lazy, I don't know whether through design or just lazy script writing, Stephen Hawking is implied to be dead. Castro is alive. The prime minister looks like David Cameron, and Michael, <laughs> and and um, Tiger Woods is still a relevant a re- a relevant cultural figure. Wow. Okay. And, and there's a scene. <laughs> there's a scene which again I'm going to return. Takes place on a submarine in which the robot butler I've just mentioned beats two freshly caught sound to death. So, like, big, full-size, like, deep sea, and then makes them into sushi. So it still has that kind of really unhinged slapstick humour about it. Almost like certain people involved in the production were potentially involved in the, <laughs> a lot of pharmaceutical
0: yes, creation. Were, kind
1: of, we're getting their ideas from, like, a, a higher source. Um,
0: <laughs> <laughs> the trailer for the first Transformers film was one of the best movies of that year. That two and a half minutes is actually tells an all right story and it's just awesome. I mean it's fucking great. Then when you see that stretch of two and a half hours, it's like, oh no, there's nothing to this and it's all and even the bits that look really good in the trailer are not good in the actual film. I think. It apart is. from the bit when Starscream takes out the planes when he's flying as a plane and then he turn, turns turns back into, into a, robot. a robot and rips the planes apart in midair and then he turns back into plane tags It's thing, like, yeah that's great. That's this,
1: really good. It is borderline incoherent and it is bloated it is a bloated mess and I don't encourage anybody to go and see it. <laughs> but I was there for free, and I, I saw it early and for free, and in LIMAX with friends, and <laughs> I had popcorn, and then I went and had a drink afterwards. So, yeah, that sounds yeah.
0: So this is the kind of film that, if it had been released for your birthday, we would have gone to see this for yes. your birthday, yeah, indeed. It's, uh, and LIMAX, we have to say, is the, uh, is the Cineworld Empire, where they have an IMAX screen, but I'm sorry... If you're in London and you want an IMAX screen, you go to the BFI Southbank. That's the proper IMAX. This is the LIMAX. Even though if you're a Cineworld customer, you still have to pay seven quid
1: to go and see a film there.
0: Anyway, that's just my
1: griping. Cineworld, they... Lots of add-ons now. Yeah, lots of add-ons, and they tend to... And they seem to be getting rid of quite a few cinemas. Like, I've been been a Cineworld customer, uh, a West End customer as well, so I have my monthly card and see as much as I want.
0: Twelve years. But now they only have that Empire Leicester Square cinema in the West End. And you've got the line you have to pay more for, and the other screens, apart from the impact screen, which I don't really think that's a very good screen, but the other screens I think are all like, yeah, you know, widescreen tellies, so why would I pay extra to come to the West End? Because um, because the Haymark is gone, is not it? And that's yeah.
1: such a great screen. And that's the fact that none of this was sort of forewarned and none of it Yeah. It's beginning to feel a bit um Lando Calrissian, you know. I've altered the deal. pre do not alter it further.
0: Yeah, it really is like that, isn't it? It's like you know this comes out in their newsletters. Oh, be By the way, we're going to close down the city
1: world Haymarket. So Sorry, just once while I'm on the terrible impressions, Spatter <laughs> No, it's more Jeffrey Rush. I can't. I can't. It's not a bad. It's not a bad. One. Javier Bardem has you know has a Spanish has like has the the rolling R's the Spanish accent, and he had, he, had, he had a voice coach for that film. Did he? Yeah, Javier Bardem and Jeffrey Rush are the two actors on there listed as having having like voice coaches for it. Why does Jeffrey Rush need a voice coach? In this film, he's doing the exact same
0: voice he did in the other films. Could he just not remember the voice? Just watch the film again, Jeffrey. Watch the three hours. Oh, all okay, pf. I feel
1: like yeah. Just Arr, it is ah. I'll have you,
0: me lad, <laughs> hung from the, from the jack. Sail.
1: The best
0: seagoer, even though it was from hundreds of years earlier is, of course, Tom Baker in that episode of Blackadder 2, where (laughs) they go looking for the new world, and he's just that insane (laughs) captain who has no legs, and... (laughs) You have a woman's hands, my
1: lord.
0: (laughs) When he says to Blackadder, you you may be a big noise in the Queen's Court, but out here you're nothing but a lapdog to a slip of a girl. Yes, well, it's better to be a lapdog to a slip of a girl than a... Ah, <laughs> oh, so you do have some spunk in you after all. <laughs> that's the kind of thing you wanted to Pirates of the Caribbean film. Sorry, God. No, that's, that sums it up. <laughs>
1: well, I would say, um, yeah, so Transformers, I, I'm just not going to watch that film. I can't be asked. I mean, um, if, we, if we're going to rank them, I would actually, I'd probably put Transformers above Pirates. Wow, okay. Wow. Okay. Because that's. Cause I'm, mm. I don't know. Actually, uh Ooh, it's a, it's actually it's a close one thing. It's not notably worse than Pirates. It's much longer. Right. But in fact, you know, I'll put it below Pirates because it is that much fucking longer. It is two and a half hours. Yeah. If I was to rank these, Wonder <laughs> Woman, Pirates, Transformers, and then The Mummy. The Mummy. If yeah, you can, The Mummy is worthless. Yeah. Well, unless you've got a second birthday coming up, like the Queen or
0: something, I won't be seeing Transformers the last night. Um, if you want a good film that has an Arthurian element to it then I would recommend that you get The Fisher King which comes out on Criterion Collection Blu-ray on the 19th of June and um, I was lucky enough to get a review copy and I can say that film holds up incredibly well 26 years down the line and has all the magic and wonder of Knights and King Arthur and everything about it is just absolutely fantastic and uh, it also is like a nice love story and yeah, a great character piece and uh, yeah, can we make some more films like that, please? Can Terry Gilliam make a film,
1: please? Oh no, he's got um, Don Quixote. It's in out, the bag. It's so in the bag. We'll see what it's like. Yeah, we'll see what the... Don Quixote is yeah, like. Yeah, I, 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 that's the thing. Even though they've, they've finished filming, I can't imagine that film. I just can't imagine it ever seeing that film. If it's in the bag and there was a hole in the bag and then we lost the film. Yeah, and then we lost the film. That's it. it's kind of uh, We will never see Terry Gilliam's Don Quixote film. But apparently we will next
0: year. It's on like a 2018 release date.
1: Ah, The Man Who Killed Don Quixote. Bring it on.
0: Yes, indeed. Okay. So, anything else? Uh, I think that's it. Cool. Well, Spada. I just can't really remember how he says it, but anyway. Thank you. And what are we going to be doing next, do you think? Is it Baby Driver? Oh, yes, we are going to be doing Baby Driver. we will have to do that quite... Oh, so you're all having a really, really busy week, aren't you? So that's going to be next week that you... Possibly, but we'll figure it out. All right, cool. Yes, we're going to go and see Baby Driver on Tuesday. Very much looking forward to that. So on that note... Thank you very much for listening, and
1: we'll speak again soon. Thank you very much. Spanner! Spanner.